live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I am not Jeff Wagner. I don't play him on the radio. (laughs) It wouldn't go well. Jerry Bader in for Jeff. Glad you are along for the ride. A lot of stuff to pack into this hour. Uh, So let's get right to it with the breaking political news. A judge temporarily blocks laws passed by Republicans to limit the power of Governor Tony Evers and Attorney General Josh Call. Temporary, likely the temporarily blocks. Temporarily, likely the operative word in that story. Dane County judge blocked the laws passed by Republicans. Circuit judge, and uh, I apologize, Richard Neese, N-I-E-S-S, on Thursday, issued a temporary injunction to block the laws. Interesting, interesting argument here. The argument has nothing to do with the specificity of the laws where it comes to limiting the power of Evers and Call. In other words, do Republicans have the constitutional authority to do that? This is more the nuclear option. What the suit argued and what at least one judge has gone along with for now is the legislature actually doesn't have the authority to call such a session, which, as you heard in the news, uh, in a predictions from Republicans, this would cause chaos going back to previous extraordinary sessions. If you're saying leaders, the, the, the Republicans don't have standing to do this. Neeson is ruling sided with the groups that filed the suit and barred anyone from enforcing the laws that were passed during the floor period in December. The bottom line in this case is that the legislature did not lawfully meet during that 2018 December extraordinary session, therefore violating the Constitution. So all laws introduced, passed, by Republicans and then signed by former Republican Governor Scott Walker. The scope of the laws and the overnight floor session used to pass them, as the Journal Sentinel reports, drew national attention. So basically, the challenge in the suit is the constitutionality of the extraordinary legislative session. In other words, the instrument used here, not the product. That's intriguing to say the least, because quite frankly, Republicans are right, were this to stand, and there is no guarantee it's going to stand, as it is appealed, and it will be appealed by Republicans, it would, you would have to look back at all things passed in extraordinary sessions if that instrument, that tool itself, is unconstitutional. What the suit claimed was the Constitution, the state, Constitution, of course, does not allow lawmakers to convene a legislative session to take up the bills. Therefore, all legislative action taken during the December legislative session are void, all actions. 
no legal authority to convene the session, the lawsuit argued, the judge concurred. He said, even if extraordinary sessions were contemplated by the law, the statute sets no time for convening such as expressly required by the Constitution. This statutory omission is alone fatal to the legislature's position. So he is saying the state constitution doesn't allow this. Extraordinary sessions are really anything but extraordinary in terms of occurrence. I'm not going to predict here, but it does seem kind of hard to imagine that this Dane County judge that this is going to stand as it makes its way through the various appeals. And you do have to wonder, I I haven't seen anything to this effect yet, that Republicans, in fact, would ask uh, the state Supreme Court to directly take up this appeal because of the sense of urgency here as to whether or not things call and Evers and, and other things passed can do. So that would be my guess, that that's... That's what Republicans will do, asking for what they would consider a favorable 4-3 from the state Supreme Court. I, we'll, we'll see on, on how that plays out. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Or, or a majority, for sure, is what they would hope for. So, stay tuned on that one couple of quick observations about a lack of observation. Yeah, you, you heard that right. I have an observation about things people aren't observing. There are two of them. One, the Powerball jackpot is $625 million for Saturday. Nobody won last night when it was $550 million. This might be an is-it-just-me thing, because quite frankly, I have kind of dialed out of paying attention to the news the way I used to when I had a talk show every day. I haven't completely gone into a cave, but I I don't... I'm not obsessed with news the way that I used to be. So maybe it's just me. I have no idea. And And I ask this because I wonder, as the jackpots have gotten meteoric, or stratospheric perhaps, a better word, on a regular basis... Does that not get our attention anymore the way I remember when 300, I'm old enough to remember when $300 million got her done, where you, we would be paying attention? Maybe it actually has to tickle that billion mark before we actually hey, start waiting in long lines. I don't know, just me. Then this, maybe just me. Then this. Marquette. Marquette faces Murray State about 3.30 this afternoon in the NCAA tournament. I live in northeast Wisconsin, and I will tell you, nobody up in that part of the state really, even with Marquette having the success they're having, pays any attention to MU basketball. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. MU basketball is barely on the sports radar screen up in northeast Wisconsin. And, yes, I I, I bring it up because I'm an alum, uh, Grad school, 1996, Breck, Broadcast Electronic Communications. So I do, I can tell you, every, everybody up north, and by that I mean sports fans, they know what's going on with the Badger basketball team, that they are back in, in the tournament and all of that. And it's just, 
Yeah, it kind of gives me that underdog thing that, you know, up in my part of the state, they aren't getting much of a look, so it'd be kind of cool to see them go deep. I'm not predicting that's going to happen either. All right. In uh, two minutes, I want to take up a story, and I don't plan on spending a lot of time on it, but I want to make an observation I don't think others have made. It deals with Catholic churches removing from buildings the names of bishops uh, involved in the cover-up of sex crimes. And I think there's a point people are missing on that, and I want to get to it. 1216 News Radio, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Twelve nineteen, Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. After twelve thirty, let me ask this simply because we're going to take calls on this in the next half hour. Why do people drive like jerks on the road? Why do they speed up when you're trying to pass them, hang in your blind spot? The answer may surprise you to the degree that I want to see if you agree with the answer. And we're not looking for war stories of what you've faced on the highway. That's not what this is about. Very interesting theory as to why people behave that way on the roads. And I want to see if you buy it or if you think it's pseudoscience. I am undecided. We'll get to that after 1230. Right now, though, so the news earlier this week. I read from the journal Sentinel, bowing to pressure from Catholic Church sex abuse victims and the faithful, the Archdiocese of Milwaukee announced Tuesday it was removing the names of former Archbishops William E. Cousins and Rembert Weakland, both of whom took part in the cover-up of sex crimes against children from its headquarters complex and cathedral center. This mirrors a move taking place around the country uh, it actually happened earlier this month up in Green Bay, off of Green Bay Diocese facility, the name of Bishop Aloysius J. Wysislo. I remember his name clearly because growing up in a Catholic church in northeast Wisconsin every Sunday, I remember Father Belongi praying for our Bishop Aloysius J. Wysislo. He, like Weakland and Cousins and others, did indeed take part in covering up sex crimes. This is something victims' advocates have been calling for for a long time. I want to be very clear. I 100% agree with this move. These men, their, their name should not be held in honor on any building. I, I totally agree. 100% agree with that. And I understand why victims and victim advocates pushed for this. And by the way, this is a long time in the coming. Many would say overdue. There have, ever since these things came to light, particularly about Weakland, the call has been made, what is going on where you still have their, their names, that these men being honored... By being on buildings. I don't know how anyone can disagree with that decision. I, however, want to express what I think is a danger, an unintended consequence that could come as the result of this. So, I want, Again, I want to be very clear. I 
agree with taking the names down of Cousins and Weakland in Milwaukee and Wysislo in Green Bay. I absolutely agree with that. But we need to be careful of something. And in some way, because I just don't have any better analogy, this reminds me of the debate over the Civil War Confederate heroes being honored. Lee and, and, and so on. You have two points of view on that. Their names shouldn't be, I, I agree with those who say their names shouldn't be held in places of honor, but you can't erase them from memory either. And I think the same is true here. I realize that it's become cliche, but those who don't learn from history or attempt to bury history are doomed to repeat it. The Catholic Church was incredibly slow in responding when this scandal first started mushrooming some two decades ago. And, and then from that point on, tried to minimize it. And it continued to mushroom and mushroom and mushroom in terms of how far back it goes and how broad it was in scope. And while, yes, the, you know, these names were placed on buildings as honors, they, they dishonor the building where their name was. A- absolutely. But I just think we need to take care here and try not to erase them down the memory hole because that is how things... You think you are doing the right thing by expunging them from memory, and what you have to do is recognize how big, bad, and serious the problem was. And I don't, it's like anything else. You can never truly recover until you admit the problem. Now, the Catholic Church has admitted the problem, but quite candidly, not the full extent of the problem for, for some years. We are now finally at a point for the Catholic Church, and they are still being criticized for not doing enough, but finally are recognizing this was a systemic and potentially fatal problem in the church. Go ahead, take the names off of places of honor, but do not, do not make the mistake of when you're doing that, to pretend these these guys never existed. One, that is a disservice to the victims, and two, it's just unhealthy. They were there. They held places of high authority in the Catholic Church. As uh, the Journal Sentinel put it, Weakland was a luminary among the progressive wing of the American Catholic Church, And that is completely accurate. These men are just that. They're men. They're human beings. And because a mistake is uncovered, exposed, doesn't, not a mistake, but I mean a mistake in terms of how the church handled it. I'm not calling the acts a mistake. A mistake in terms of how the church handled it doesn't mean that mistake can't be made again. 
And it's one thing to say, no, this is, uh, one, what most, what the policy now is, you're not going to name buildings after priests and bishops. But, two, it's one thing to remove that honor. It's another thing to pretend it never happened. And I'm not saying the church is trying to do that. I am not suggesting that. What I am saying is there's a danger there that inadvertently that could happen. What they did was real. You can't pretend it wasn't. 1227 News Radio WTMJ. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jerry Bader in for Jeff. All right. In my radio career, and as a talk host, it spans some 15 years. I did news before that. But in the years that I was a talk show host in Wisconsin, I don't know how many times, probably too many times, I took up the topic of things that drove me nuts in driving. Now, I'm not one of those people who I'm a perfect driver and everyone else around me is a rotten driver. I, I, I certainly have a self-awareness of my own motoring shortcomings. However, there are a couple of specific behaviors. That is, this, I'll tell you what spurred me to bring this up. And if, in fact, it was before I knew I was going to be in for Jeff this week. I was visiting my mom. She's in a nursing home in Peshtigo. And I'm coming back on Highway 41. And I don't know how many people did it on this particular voyage from Peshtigo to Green Bay. But several did it. Okay, it's um, 65 mile an hour limit, and full disclosure, I have the speed control set on 74. It's what I do. I figure if I keep it in single digits, I'm a small fish compared to compared to the bigger fish that police are going to find. So I, I think I'm okay. So I'm about to pass a vehicle, and you know what's coming next. They accelerate to essentially. Uh, match my speed. And it's, uh, it happens, I don't know how often, but it happens. So, here's what I've started doing. I punch it. I used to just click it up a mile to 75, 76 miles an hour. Now I punch it, and you immediately see them fall back. Immediately. Like, oh, never mind. And then the other one, and I think these are twins, the person that hangs in your blind spot, like a, a, a track runner drafting the lead runner, except we're both in 2,000-pound vehicles. What are you doing? I mean, be uh, you know, sometimes I expect to look and see it be an old beater and looking for insurance money. I don't know. So here's a theory. And by the way, a couple of texters have already stumbled on this, so this theory may not be as far out there as I thought it was when I first read this. This writer says it's due to the uh, what I'm looking for phenomenon of herding. He's saying that it's not. Road rage, in most cases, he knows that happens, or just people who are aggressive jerks, he knows that happens as well. 
But here's his argument. Pay attention to this. I'm going to read a couple of chunks of this, and then I want your feedback. Much of the bizarre behavior you see out there on the road is simply due to the fact that the average driver puts no more thought into his choices behind the wheel than I do in selecting toilet paper at the supermarket. They aren't trying to offend you or beat you. They're just kind of stroking along on instinct and the dimly remembered lessons of high school driver's ed. That's why you'll have somebody blow by you in a 55 zone only to hold you up in the 75 zone that follows. They aren't even looking at the speed limit signs. Instead, they are doing a speed that feels comfortable to them. It's completely unconscious. Now, here's where he gets to the meat of his theory. The most prevalent and most annoying unconscious behavior I see on the roads is hurting. We're all social animals at heart. So a lot of people are reassured at some level when they are near other cars. That's ridiculous and stupid, of course. The most dangerous thing on the road is the car or a truck next to you. But our unconscious minds were designed in a time before the GMC Yukon Denali XL. Hurting manifests itself in the following behaviors. Driving next to you on an otherwise empty freeway. I've had that happen. Hanging out in your blind spot. I mentioned that. Passing you, then slowing to match your speed a car length or two ahead. Tailgating you for no reason, with lanes open on either side, speeding up to match you when you pass them. So his argument is, we're wired that way. We are wired to want to be around other people. Even when we're both in cars going at a dangerous speed to be that close to each other. So... Here's my question to you. My wife actually didn't buy this. She's like, look, when I'm on the road, I want to be as far away from other cars as possible. That is now my inclination. Full disclosure, there's been a time in my life where I caught myself matching their speed. For me, it was, oh, I guess I could be going faster. But his argument is, This is, and we'll get to this coming up, this is inbred, this is in our subconscious minds. He said unconscious minds. I believe he meant subconscious minds. And that's the way most of us are wired. And the people who drive you nuts don't mean to drive you nuts. They don't mean to be jerks. They can't help it. They're not really paying attention. They're driving by remote control. They are following the instinct of herding. Do you buy that or not? can call on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. News Radio, WTMJ. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, we are back, and we are taking your calls, but it is Jerry in for Jeff. 1244. 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I put the theory out there a few moments ago. The, to me, I mean, there's a lot of bad driving habits, but the person that drives right next to you on an otherwise empty freeway, hanging out in your blind spot, passing you then slowly to match your speed a car length 
or two ahead, tailgating you for no reason with open lanes on either side, or speeding up to match you when you pass them. What all those have in common is it keeps you close to another vehicle or another vehicle close to you. And this guy says that's his theory, that it's hurting, that we are like all other animals on this earth, and we tend to travel in packs, and we take comfort in being next to someone, even when it's illogical, counterintuitive, because we're both in a deadly weapon. Do you buy it or not? Uh, someone, someone texting from the 262, that guy's totally nuts. They're either rude or doing it on purpose. What say you? 414-799-1620. Uh, let's go first to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jerry, I don't buy it. I think the problem is that people are way too impatient and um, too distracted, and there's sort of an anonymity, excuse me, um, that goes on when people are in their cars and they'll act in ways that they wouldn't act in line in the, the grocery store. Okay. See, now, however, you brought up a different psychological phenomenon. That, and, and I have, you're right. I mean, this, here's the way I had, a, I saw a columnist write that once. She, uh, it, it was, in fact, it's columnist Ellen Goodman. A guy, a young man flipped her off. And she said, would he do that if he knew that I knew his mother? <laughs> and, and the answer, Probably not, right? Because, oh, yeah. Be, yeah. You know, ex- yeah. Exactly. So that, so you don't buy the hurting argument, huh? No, I think I think that it's the problems that I just listed. But I, I, I do get really mad when someone tailgates, and but I think it's just that the, that they're in a hurry and they're impatient. And and, and in, with, in some cases, I kind of suspect people almost feel entitled to speed now. Uh, okay, Jeff, thanks a lot for the call. Here's the thing I would say, though, is, you know, in terms of being impatient, why then do they hang with you? Why do they hang in your blind spot? Again, no one size fits all when it comes to explaining things, and I do accept that. But I I don't know how I feel about this, because, and I say that only because I think those are inexplicable behaviors. The people who hang in your blind spot, and look, we all know what I'm saying by that, so it happens a lot, Right. It's just weird to me. I don't know. I, I mean, the hurting thing, they do seem to be, let, let's put it this way. Here's where he's right. They do go out of their way to stay close to you, which is inherently dangerous. What other explanation is there to Steve in Janesville? Steve, go ahead. Hey, Jerry. Yeah, uh, you can add one more onto that. It's the guy that approaches uh, slow traffic in the right lane pulls into the left lane to pass, and then slows down by five miles an hour. You can add that one to the bunch. Okay, you just said bunch, which is interesting. It's not the way you meant it, but do you think that people who do that are just dumb, or is there anything to this hurting theory? I think they're just stupid. They're just dumb. And there's so many of them out there. you, you, You can't count how many are out there that are like that. I think that buys into his theory, though, Steve, is because what he's saying is that they are, in essence, driving on autopilot by instinct because of that. Uh, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. Let's go to uh, Jim in Brookfield. Jim, you think this is a silly idea. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, my thoughts on this subject are, I think, um, what they're saying about us being herders is false. I think that's, um, I'm 62 years old, 
When I went to driver's school, you were always taught to see the big picture ahead of you and watch out, watch what's going on. I think that a lot of people now haven't been brought up with um, technology today, with the smartphones and this and that. They expect everything right away. Um, I think they're like, I mean mine, I mean mine. Um, I think that... Um, the hurting thing is way off base. I think mm. that people just need to, they need to take a step back, understand a car is a car, but it can be made a weapon right away. And just let somebody wants to get in front of you, so what? Are you going to worry about it two weeks from now? Well, here, here's the thing, though, Jim. Thanks, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. Here's the thing, is the, the being in a hurry doesn't explain these hang-around-you behaviors. And that's where I wonder if he isn't on to something. To longtime Jerry Bader listener, Tim in Lublin, how you doing, my friend? I am doing very well, my friend. Good to hear you, as always, on the radio again. I'm wondering if the part of the problem, I think, is is because once people get in their cars, or the way we get so isolated or everything else, they're in their own little world. And I've known people, and I mean, I'm guilty of this myself, too. When you get in, if you've had a tough day at work or a tough day at home, you start, you know, talking to yourself either out loud or in your head about your frustrations with either relationships with the boss, with the family, other things like that. And you start getting angry and assertive, and you unfortunately that assertiveness translates to how you behave behind the wheel. And I think that's especially true, for example, if you're doing things like, you know, driving from home to work or vice versa on a route that you're so familiar with that you don't, uh, that you're not not unfamiliar, that you feel like you can you know, drive that in your sleep. I See, and I buy that theory, and I, quite frankly, I have uh, been guilty of that, Tim. Thanks a lot for the call. Always good to hear from you. I, I really... I think that we that driving just becomes too comfortable to us. We can take a few more calls uh, in the time we have left. Twelve fifty one News Radio WTMJ. Twelve fifty four. Jerry in for Jeff. So the theory is hurting that when someone <laughs> hangs in your blind spot on the freeway, drives right next to you speeds up and you try to pass them, passes you and then jumps right in front of you. It's the natural instinct, inclination to want to be around other people. Not a lot of people listening to the show are buying it. I have an open mind what I would say. If this theory was accurate, then I would love being in bumper-to-bumper traffic on the freeway, right? I don't. To Liz in Germantown. Liz, you're on WTMJ. Hi, um, I am calling because I think a lot of the things that we think are common sense when it comes to driving or the general rules of the road are not taught in driver's ed. I was never taught, uh, I'm 35 now, I was never taught that you pass in the left and then you go back to the right. I was never taught that you, you know, you're taught to look in your blind spot, but you're never taught to become conscientious enough to not be in someone's blind spot. So these things aren't, I guess, common sense. You know, do you let, let me I'm just asking, do you think you were never taught them or you forgot them? Never taught them. I remember driving hmm. out to Montana right after I got my license and I was driving in the left lane and um, we had two cars going out there. And uh, the lady behind me who was with us said, why are you driving in the right, the left hand lane? We were in the open road. 
And she said, you know, um, you're, you, you, ride, you drive in the right lane. You pass in the left. And I was shocked. I didn't know I wasn't allowed to drive in the left lane. So some of these things, I, I really, they're not taught nowadays. And Liz, um, some of Liz, them I may have for the call. Okay, and you may have. Uh, all right, yeah, it's a, there, are, there are actually signs that say slower traffic, keep right. To Matt in Illinois, Matt's thinking maybe there's something to this, to this theory. Matt, go ahead. How are you, Jerry? Good. Well, I, I, I catch myself driving uh, all the time in open highways, and I certainly, if someone goes by me a couple mile an hour faster, find myself picking up the cruise control and hanging with them as I'm driving down a 94 or 90, whatever the case may be. So uh, there's something to be said, on at least in the highway. Um, I wouldn't say I ever tailgate them, although to your previous caller, if she's driving in the left lane, she probably is going to get tailgating if she's going slow. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, ab- yes, absolutely. I, 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 all right. I, I learned that well before I ever got a driver's license, that you do not drive in the left lane. Matt, thanks a lot for the call. Uh, let's see. Uh, a texter. Hi, Jerry. You worked with cows. If herding is the issue, should cowbells be required? More cowbells! <laughs> um, well, actually, I am used to that phenomenon. I, 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 cows, I have seen actual herding. I don't... Here's what I would say. I think some people, for whatever... Reason I don't know if the theory is hurting, I don't know, but there are people that do seem to feel more secure by keeping that other vehicle next to them. On the other hand, we've got a bunch of texts, and I actually want to share a couple after the news. I, I think it's more just people being oblivious. Now, in the case of Liz, she said she actually, she honestly, sincerely, it was innocent ignorance, didn't know that she was supposed to drive not drive in the passing lane. She had never heard the terms passing lane and driving lane. My wife's theory on that is that people like that have just forgotten. But I, I think there are psychological forces at play. And I want to just share a couple of texts on this before we move on after 1 o'clock. And the rest of his theory. I've held back the rest of his theory. And it's actually pretty interesting. Uh, We'll get to that. The truly, truly sad part of the celebrity admissions, college admissions scandal, and then one that we need to approach delicately. In the 21st century, do 18-year-olds have enough common sense to be considered adults? Now, anytime you make a blanket statement like that or ask a blanket question like that well of course some do some don't we will give an example that brings up that question and tie it to the concept of 16 year olds being allowed to vote all of that coming up after one o'clock 1259 news radio wtmj Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jerry Bader, honored to once again be sitting in for Jeff. We're going to move on. Actually, this is a story that I did not anticipate 
the beer wars. We're going to get to this in just a minute. The corn syrup war between Bud and Miller. This is fascinating. I, I, I just, I must tell you, creating advertising campaigns is exceedingly difficult. I've had to do it in small doses in my life. Coming up with a concept that gets legs and gets that national attention is brutally difficult. And I think the people who are successful at it are creative geniuses. And there have been some memorable ad campaigns uh, in the television age in particular, right? This, uh, this has gotten really interesting. We'll get to it in just a moment. I, I do want to, though, finish up on the theory that I put out there. It's not my theory. I shared the theory that some of the behaviors that people exhibit on the highway that drive you nuts, specifically those that keep them close to your car, tailgating, hanging in your blind spot, uh, just staying right aside you in the next lane, passing you and then falling back right in front of you and so on, is due to the instinct all creatures have known as herding, the desire to be around others. Most of you reaching out did not buy that. A friend texts me, and, and she's always offered brilliant insights uh, whenever I was blessed to be on the radio. Hi, Jerry. I think the reasons people do those things on the road is uh, are as varied as personalities are. Some do it because they're rude. Some do it from needing to be in a herd. Some do it because they're competitive. Some because they lack the intellect to comprehend the danger. Others are distracted. Many more reasons, I'm sure, we can't assume motive in any case. I think largely that's true. But I think of those specific behaviors, I would say uh, if I was going to buy the herding theory, it would be when they inexplicably hang close to you. It's, it's just uh, there aren't a lot of rational explanations for that other than there's something that that makes them feel comfortable doing that and that it probably is at an unconscious level because if it was at a conscious level i I just i i don't think most reasonable people would do that but not all people on the roads meet that definition uh let's see hi jerry i do what i can to stay away from wolf packs as they are dangerous escape one a few weeks ago I was snowing on I-94. He was glad. Ten seconds after escaping the whole wolf pack, seven cars all ended up in, in the guardrails because of someone or the wolf pack getting stupid. Packs are accidents waiting to happen, just like a NASCAR race. It's really hard to disagree with that. All right. As I said, I, I have great appreciation because I had to attempt to do them in my radio career, and that is come up with ad campaigns to promote or sell a radio station. And and I think it's really tough. Bud Light, Budweiser, came up with the whole Dilly Dilly Medieval Kingdom campaign, which actually was growing, I really grew tired of that very quickly, but then they attacked Miller Lite for having corn syrup in it. And they built this into uh, that campaign, that medieval dilly-dilly, medieval kingdom campaign. Well, go ahead and 
put the ingredients on the bottle, why don't you? So they apparently feel that there's something incredibly uh, distasteful about Miller Lite having corn syrup. Miller Lite has fired back. In fact, the Chicago Tribune is now calling it the corn syrup war. Miller Lite is invading Bud Light's dilly-dilly medieval kingdom with two attack ads set to air during March Madness broadcast. The latest salvo in the escalating corn syrup war is a mock behind-the-scenes look at the Bud Light Super Bowl ads where the costume knights and crew crack open cans of Miller Lite when the fantasy world filming is over. So in other words, this is a fictional look behind the scenes of the shooting of a Bud Light ad to where they get out of their knights and armor costume and all of that, and they crack a Miller. Okay, I, I have no skin in this game, but I think that's, that's very clever. And I suspect this is a campaign, and a lot of times you don't realize it, but campaigns are pre-planned. They don't just run an ad and then go, how are we going to follow this up? There's an entire campaign mapped out. And I have a suspicion that the follow-up ads to this could be pretty funny. I think it's a funny concept. I thought some of the corn syrup, the Bud Light corn syrup ones, were, were pretty good, too. So here's the tagline that comes with the Miller ads. In the real world, more taste is what matters. We're using their dilly-dilly world as a foil, said Anup Shaw, vice president for the Miller Brands at Chicago-based Miller Coors. This is simply a way to pivot the message from corn syrup to our message. More taste, less calories. We feel good about the spots. Bud Light started the corn syrup war with an ad during last month's Super Bowl TV broadcast where the mythical king leads a quest to return corn syrup mistakenly delivered to his castle to Miller Light and Coors Light. We don't brew Bud Light with corn syrup, the king proclaims during the spot. In response, Miller Coors pulled out a long-planned industry advertising collaboration with a but with uh, Bud Light brewer Anheuser Busch and defended its use of corn syrup in the brewing process in full page ads and on social media. Miller Coors does not add high fructose corn syrup, which some consumers avoid, as a potential health risk to its beer. Oh, that's what this is about. I wondered what the big deal about corn syrup was. Because in terms of taste, I didn't have anything to do with anything. So now they're firing back with the new TV campaign, which will debut on air uh, tonight, today, during the uh, tip-off of the tournament. The spot will be in heavy rotation during March Madness broadcast, Shaw said. Ah, uh, was created by DDB, Chicago, filmed in Slovenia. The two commercials replicate Bud Light's medieval world with some plot twists. There's already, yeah, there, as I said, there's the whole campaign. One spot is called Aftermath. Picks up amid the carnage of Bud Light's Game of Thrones Super Bowl ad. When the director yells, cut! The vanquished Bud Light Knight rises, takes his helmet off, puts his glasses on, <laughs> and grabs a Miller Light from the cooler. The second spot, Snow, follows two actors released from punishment in the stocks who make a beeline for the bucket filled with Miller Light. For its part, Anheuser-Busch now backing down. The beer maker posted a response video online Wednesday featuring its fictional king pontificating on the new Miller Lite ads. Uh, okay, here's what I have to say about this. If they keep being creative, 
it's you know what there's there's nothing more rewarding to both the viewer and the creator than entertaining ads and well-produced very creative sharp concept ads one they sell product but two they're entertaining to the viewer and this sounds like a very very clever response 116 news radio wtmj jeff wagner on wtmj One nineteen, Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner today and tomorrow. Always an honor and a pleasure when I get to sit in. Greatly, greatly appreciate the opportunity. All right, I want to get to an interesting observation about the college admission scandal in just a second. But I want to mention something, and this used to be a staple of up in the days when I had a radio show every day. Uh, just some suggestions on TV viewing. Specifically, the first one. You'll have to catch up now online because it's done for the season. I haven't heard if it's being renewed. It's on Fox. It's called The Passage. It's based on a book trilogy of the same name. And from what I've read online, it follows the books pretty closely. Here's what I would say. If you're into science, science fiction, fantasy, hybrid, Check it out. It's vampires, but it's not vampires. It's vampires, but we find out that vampirism is viral. It's intriguing. It starts slow. The first season finishes huge. Just really, really good. If you're into that sort of thing. If you're not, well, don't check it out. If you've read the books, I don't know what you're going to think of it. I, I don't know, because I haven't read the books, but I'm tempted now to read the books. Secondly, it has now wrapped up season two. If you have not found The Good Doctor, what a great TV show. I, 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 just, I just think it is one of the most powerful dramas that have been on television for a long time. It is created by David Shore, who also was the creator of House. It certainly has that house look and feel to it. Here's the difference. House was just a completely, wholly unlikable human being. And that, for some people, despite the powerful writing and the creative writing of that show, some people just couldn't warm up to it because house to them was so obnoxious. In this case, the brilliant diagnostician is Sean Murphy. He's autistic. Here's the way that I describe The Good Doctor. If Rain Man and House had a baby, it would be Dr. Sean Murphy. I, I just, I, I got into it mid-first season. I never did go back and catch up. I should do that sometime. It's just brilliantly written, and it's like House in this regard. There are two moral dilemma medical cases in each show, and then there are, of course, the subplots with the regulars. It's really, it's the very same formula. The difference is you can cheer for Sean Murphy. The average person will cheer for Sean Murphy. Uh, Gregory House was this train wreck from which you could not turn away. So I, I actually think this is an improvement upon the house concept. 
If you've not caught it, it's Monday nights, uh, 9 o'clock? Yeah, 9 o'clock on ABC. When it comes back, it's done for the season. But it is coming back for season three. Just my humble opinion, uh, particularly, I I think, broad appeal, the second one, The Good Doctor. Really good stuff. So, here's someone you don't hear pontificate on current events very often, if ever. This might, in fact, I can't say this for sure, this might be the first time that I've ever heard this celebrity weigh in on a current event. Probably not right about that. Well, it's probably right that I've never heard her do this. It's probably not right that she has never done it. In fact, I haven't heard from her in a long time. I haven't seen any of her movies in a long time. Julia Roberts. She, I I think, I don't know if she stumbled into it, but I think she kind of stumbled into the... uh, College admission scandal. In fact, the way the Huffington Post writes it, beware movie stars with projects to promote in the next week or so. You will most likely be asked to comment on the college admission scandal, even if you are overseas and have no discernible connection to said saga. Case in point, Julia Roberts, who was in the UK promoting Ben is Back, was asked about the headline sweeping scam. Pro that she is, the Oscar winner was able to weigh in on the scandal, which implicated her peers, Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin, and pivot the conversation back to the film she was promoting. That, to me, is so sad, Robert said, speaking specifically about the parents who allegedly paid bribes to ensure their children were admitted into prestigious schools. Because I feel, from an outsider, that it says a little bit, I don't have enough faith in you to get into school yourself I saw a headline where it said she nailed it she nailed it I just think it is and I don't want to get psychobabblish here on the radio but I guess I will a little I just think this is the helicopter parent on steroids now I don't know anything about their kids academic performance and I'm not just referring to the two high-profile moms, but others. I don't know. I don't know anything about their kids. So I I can't say that, they hey, they could have gotten into this school or that school on their own merit. I don't know. But we'll never know now unless they do try on their own merit. And I don't, I mean, that's the thing, particularly for these kids. Other kids don't have famous parents, so their names aren't out there. And I don't know how many kids in total are involved. But this is, I just got to tell you, a kid that age, nobody deserves the microscope they're being put under. And I haven't heard if there, I know I've heard of cases where the kids were unaware. But I think it's a really good point. Look, I was a realist as a dad. I knew there were schools that my kids probably could not get into. But this does, quite frankly, as others have said, plays into the that the, the game is rigged. Rigged in favor of the rich, the famous, the privileged. Yeah, it does play into that. But I think Julia Roberts got this right. Now, apparently... She played that card because it plays into the movie she was promoting, the theme of the movie Ben is Back. 
Okay, fine. So she had an ulterior motive. Whatever. I think that is an important lesson here. I, you know, I, I was guilty at times of being a helicopter dad, overprotective. And I actually had, I mean, I could laugh now. My daughter's 20, she'll soon be 26 years old. But in high school, I went to a meeting with a teacher to defend her, and she wasn't totally honest about what had happened. So in in some cases, yeah, kids will squint a little bit in that way and, and bend the truth a little bit, and that's one thing. But for the most part, I could trust my kids. And I would let them succeed as far as they could succeed on their own merits. Now, there were times I was tempted. There, there are times where, gee, you know, I could probably not get them into college or do anything wrong. Nothing like that. But even just to get them a little perk or something. Well, I could call this perk. No, no, no. It's tempting. I had some connections in those days. You know, I'm talking about, I don't know, maybe concert tickets or something like that. But I, not, no, you know. I mean, there were, there were things that I got through my job that was different. But in terms of reaching out, uh, you know, it's, for all of this, you know, for the, what everyone's talking about, and rightfully so, are the students who don't get a fair shake, but it, it's just, just the kids involved, it's rough for them too. 128 News Radio, WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It is Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. All right, I tease in a way. But I can see where some people might be offended if you take it as a blanket indictment. And I guess that the way I teased it, you don't want to have so much time in the tease. The way that I teased it, I suppose maybe it is an unfair overgeneralization. When you are 18 years old, you are an adult by law. You are now an adult and you have the rights and, of course, the responsibilities that come with being an adult. Is that asking too much of people basically under 25 these days? Again, not as a whole population. And there's a specific story to which I point, which I'll get to here in just a second. Now, recently, and I won't get into details, but last month I was in Florida. It was, uh, let's just say it was for professional purposes. But I was around a lot of young people. And by young, I mean a lot younger than me. People in their 30s. Maybe some in their 20s. I'm not sure on that. But a number of people in their late 20s, early 30s, mostly early 30s, very responsible, very, you know. They, to them, adulting isn't an ironic verb. They're adults. Adulting, uh, of course, has been assigned to the millennial generation, where they're amazed that they're actually doing things an adult would do when they're well into their 20s or even their 30s. Now, we're past the millennials. I know. We've been talking about them for a long time. It's on to the next generation. Gen Z, iGen, whatever whatever you want to call it. Okay. Here's the story to which I point. This apparently has been out there for a while. I managed to miss it until the young lady made a court appearance. 
a Washington State girl who admitted to pushing her friend off a bridge over last summer pleaded guilty to reckless endangerment. Taylor Smith was caught on camera pushing Jordan Holgerson off the bridge. Experts said the fall could have been deadly. Ah, yeah. It was 60 feet in the air and pushed her into a river 60 feet below. Under the recommended uh, sentencing, the now 19-year-old Smith, she was 18 at the time, she would not have to go to jail. They think the prosecutors say house arrest, work crew, and community service. Here's her explanation. And and by the way, I'm sharing this with you the way I learned it. I I learned the rest of the story a couple of days after finding the original story. Her explanation is she pushed her friend off a 60-foot high bridge. Now, ABC reports that as being the same as a three-story building. I think it's taller than that. The rule of thumb I used to hear was 10 feet per story, even if that's wrong, and it may be wrong. I think 60 feet is higher than three stories, but whatever. She wanted to help her friend get over fear. I didn't understand that, and then here's the rest of the story. Uh, Her friend went out over the guardrail to jump. Her 16-year-old friend was going to jump 60 feet. When she froze in fear, the other, and I'm going to say woman, now the the victim, if you will, the 16-year-old, is a teen. At 18 years old, historically, we would have called Smith a woman. She's now 19. That makes her a woman. In the news coverage, I've seen her referred to as a girl, a teen. She is a teen. That's accurate. Historically, typically, the journalistic standard here would have been to call her a woman because she's 18. An 18-year-old woman has been blah, 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 blah. That's what would have been. I think what has happened is those in the news media have caught up with the perception that anyone under 30 is still a kid. I'm guilty of that. Now, let me be clear on this. I'm not saying everyone in that generation And in fact, I'm asking, I'm not stating, I'm asking you a question, and here's the question I would like you to answer. Are young adults, and let's let's pick, just so we're dealing with something here, let's go with 18 to 25, okay? 18 to 25. I would argue that demographic has always been irresponsible compared with older people, all right? I was in that demographic from 1979 to 1986. Okay? That's a long time ago. It doesn't feel that way to some of us, but that was a long time ago. It's history to some of you. You weren't born then. I get that. But there were, we did dumb, stupid things. But I had this conversation with a number of people as a road test for this topic. Are kids way less prepared for adulthood than they have ever been? And again, one, I shouldn't even say kids, are young adults. Two, this is not a blanket indictment. I know a 
24-year-old young lady who has... She's one of the few people under 40 that I ask advice of. She, And I've told her this, and she would get all embarrassed and laugh and blush. She is wise beyond her years. So it's not everybody. With rights come responsibility. As a generation, and again, I'm speaking as a generation... Would it be unfair to say that this latest generation, I, Gen, Gen Z, whatever we we are going to call them, that they are less prepared for the rights and responsibilities of adulthood than previous generations? Or is that just an old guy talking on the radio who doesn't realize that every older generation has said this of the younger generation? So to, to be clear on the question, has the irresponsibility curve in young people sharpened or is it pretty much always been this way and i'm just on the other side of it now see what you think the acunet mortgage talk and text line 414-799-1620 414-799-1620-142 news radio wtmj you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. Again, I don't want to overgeneralize here. I'm saying as a generation. That means some yes, some no. Story out of Washington State where an 18-year-old woman pushed a 16-year-old girl from 60 feet into a river because she wanted to help her get over fear. The girl actually went out there to jump. And the millennials dubbed themselves, they're the first generation where we recognize they have delayed adulthood. We're to the next generation now, and if the previous generation, the millennials, delayed adulthood, what does that say about this generation? Are they prepared to be treated like adults once they hit adulthood? Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1620. To Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jerry, how are you? Good. How you doing? Uh, uh, good. Um, I, I think they've definitely delayed it. Uh, like I was telling your screener, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how old you are. I'm 59. So, I mean, back then, first of all, we took personal responsibility. Granted, we all did stupid things, but we realized that there were ramifications. And it just seems like the generations now, and my kids are, you know, in their 20s and 30s and whatever, but it just seems getting worse and worse where they have no... They feel there's going to be no recourse. I mean, they have no rem- There's no fear of, of being held responsible for what you do, and that's the part that just disturbs me. And then you know, when you hear you know politicians wanting kids to vote at 16, I mean, that's ridiculous. These guys getting tied to their own. They don't tell them. They don't know how to balance their own checkbook. You know, so I mean, it's just it's it's it, it's it's really strange. I don't know. I mean, part of it's socioeconomic where. Um, I don't like. I bought my first house at. I got married. 20, I bought my first house at twenty-five. Heck, heck wow. half these kids are living, you know, living in their mom's basement, you know, till they're thirty-five. You know, I mean, it just there just seems to be no accountability. Nobody wants to take make the effort. It's just give it to me, and maybe I'll do something with it. Maybe I won't. I'm entitled. 
Dave, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, here's what I would say. So if you saw a 16-year-old get out on the other side of the of the safety rail on a bridge 60 foot high, what would you say to her? I know what I would say. Get out of there. Are you? What are you doing? You're going to kill yourself. Assuming that wasn't the goal. Actually, that might be the conclusion to which you would jump. Now, what would I have done when I was 19? I certainly would have encouraged that. I wasn't one of those dumb kids. I was a dumb kid, and I'm going to be hurt. I was a dumb kid. I also stuck out as a, like a sore thumbs, having poor judgment and being irresponsible. And it's not fair to say everyone in this generation. And I can't tell because of the age difference. All right, I have decades of experience I didn't have. Was I that irresponsible? I don't think so. I was irresponsible. I don't think I was that irresponsible, and I think the bar has moved. To Heather in Milwaukee. Heather, go ahead. Hi, how are you, Jerry? Good, how are you doing, Heather? I can't complain for a Friday Eve, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 34, so I'm actually just at the beginning of the millennial era. I'm mother of three, um, and I actually... um, put this, there is blame 100% on the young woman who didn't stop her friend from trying to do this ridiculous prank. Like, I just think it's silly. And, oh, my God, if it's my friend, I would never want you to hurt yourself. Like, you're going to hurt yourself if you jump from 60 feet. Um, With that being said, I put the responsibility on the parents, 100%, as to why the irresponsibility curve has sharpened so much. And my logic behind that is because it is so easy for quote-unquote, parents who are adults who are in their mid-30s, like me, to shove an iPad in front of their children or, you know, go to your room and just not engage with them like I was engaged with when I was growing up and like you were engaged with when you were growing up because these types of technologies didn't exist, you know. And I think that that is a huge, there's a huge gap because technology has exponentially grown in the last 10 years over from when I was growing up and when I was seven, eight, nine, ten, I had to play outside until the streetlights came on and, you know, um, I was in social situations where things like this would come up and, you know, I was engaging with other humans and now that's just not how it is. So um, it's sad and I don't know what the answer is to fixing that, you know, conundrum, but that's my take on it. Heather, thanks a lot for the call because that was the next thing I was going to ask her was what do we do about it? Okay, uh, she may be right on the cause, but what do we do now? If there's a generation, uh, and I'm going to be honest, I think part of it, just part of it, is an element of the way this generation was raised is largely in isolation. I heard someone say this recently that we are more connected yet more isolated than we have ever been. And I think that's true. Why do I bring that up? Why is that relevant to this topic? Because you don't know how to interact with other people. You live in a virtual world and not the real world. And I think a part of this never-never-land reality 
is living life vicariously online, social media, versus real interaction? I, I don't know. Let's go to Bob in Greenfield. Bob, go ahead. Yeah, um, I was just telling your, your uh, guy that checks you out before you get on the radio. You know, I've been around almost eight generations, and so I've seen a lot. And I don't agree that this generation is any uh, stupider or brighter. Well, they're brighter because they, they have access to more knowledge. But I, I don't see human nature is human nature. What I do see that's different from generations in the past, you always had responsible kids, mature kids, and you always had kids that took longer to grow up. It took me 10 years longer to grow up than my wife. Um, but that's kind of a guy thing. What I did want to say, though, is that I think part of the problem may be you have a, the society has changed now. You have a lot of single moms working, trying to raise their kids so they can't, you know, it's not a mom and a dad, both. You don't have the father figure uh, to, to maybe enforce discipline. I think sometimes single parents feel guilty, so they kind of let the kids do what they want to do because maybe they couldn't. Uh, so no, I don't think, I don't think this generation, even when, and I saw that thing on TV of the girl pushing the girl. It, was it right? No, of course it was stupid. But kids do stupid things. I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying yep. that generations haven't changed. They truly have not. Bob, thanks a lot for the call. Excellent insight. And I can't say he's wrong. I don't know that he's right, but I can't say he's wrong. 154 News Radio WTMJ. One fifty-seven. Some final thoughts on this. Uh, this this is a topic that was spurred by the video of an eighteen-year-old woman. Although few in the media called her a woman, and that's kind of got what got me going on this. Called her a girl, a teen. She's a woman by law. Pushed a sixteen-year-old friend sixty feet from a bridge. The friend was out there thinking about jumping, which brought to my mind: Is this have Young people always been this irresponsible, or as many of us suspect, these past, these two most recent generations, the millennials and now whatever we're calling the next one, Gen Z, iGen, whatever, are they even more irresponsible or less responsible, however you want to put it, and less ready for adulthood? Let me take a swing at that last part. And a lot of texters, I don't have time, but a lot of texters, yeah, it's worse. Bob in Greenfield is 80. He's seen a lot of these generations come and go, more than me, more than I have. And he says, no, it's just the same old kids are young, reckless, so on. I don't know. I. It's hard to measure because your perception does change. I do think as a generation, these two most recent generations are more ill-prepared for adulthood. We saw millennials, again, as a generation, I don't want to generalize, as a generation, not each person, uh, delay adulthood, do things in their early 30s, many of us did in our early 20s. So can you take this one isolated anecdote? I don't know. But it is a fascinating conversation nonetheless. Completely different direction after the news, actually, we've got a bunch of stuff to get to yet in the 2 o'clock hour. 159 
News Radio WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Third and final hour, Jerry Bader sitting in for Jeff Wagner, the ever so slightly abbreviated third hour. We make way for Brewer Baseball, Brewers and Dodgers. Coverage begins at 2.55. I do want to... um, I don't want to say extend, but there are a few more things I need to say about the topic of the last half hour. Has there been a acceleration in the irresponsibility curve, let's put it that way, of 18 to 25-year-olds? John and Slinger with a very, uh, this is a really good text. What hasn't changed is kids are still dumb. What has changed is parents now measure their success by how well they protect their kids from consequences of their stupidity. You could, you can make the case that overprotection is behind the college admissions scandal, which I want to transition to this. Now, I let me just say this: I don't have much to say about this, so I'm going to do this. It's two o eight and a half ish. My aspiration is to be done with this by two thirteen, and then if you do have anything to say about this, we we will take calls. Otherwise, I'm just going to move on to something else. This is an extension, I guess of the topic of the last half hour. If we have questions about whether, as a generation, mind you, 18-year-olds are not responsible enough to be treated as adults, why would we let 16-year-olds vote? Nancy Pelosi has expressed support for that plan, and obviously her motivation is political, believing that uh, 16-year-olds would be more inclined to vote Democratic. We could debate that forever. Younger generations, as they answer surveys, if you say 18 to 34-year-olds, certainly more socially liberal than in the past and other demographics and all of that. But there are conservative kids, too. So anyway, set that aside, though. Let's, Let's set that element of it aside. And let's tack this on to the topic of the last half hour. Are 16-year-olds simply not ready to make a decision at the ballot box? Madeline Fry, writing at the, uh, I believe this is the Washington Examiner. After I turned 16, I ran over a stop sign with my dad's car. I was on the way to pick up tax forms at the post office, and after I bulldozed the road sign and called the cops on myself, I went inside to see if I could at least get the forms. That location didn't have them. This kind of foolishness is why lowering the voting age to 16, which House Speaker Nancy Pelosi supported last week, is a crazy idea. She's back lowering the voting age for years, and Congress just shot down an amendment to do so. Nevertheless, Pelosi advocated for the move. This is a terrible idea, Fry writes. Not every 16-year-old is out running over stop signs, but people under the age of 18 are in no way qualified to send politicians to Washington. Pelosi, of course, wants to lower the voting age because the youth typically, youth vote swings left, but your brain's your brain doesn't fully develop until age 25, almost 10 years after Pelosi wants a young person to start voting. Some students don't take government classes until their senior year of high school, and we expect them to stop eating Tide Pods long enough to cast a ballot for president? Well, that's a little harsh. Other people on Twitter were equally astounded, and it looks like I wasn't the only one making mistakes at age 16. Changing the voting age also expresses the inanity of age restrictions on other activities. 
If 16-year-olds are old enough to vote, they certainly, uh, they're certainly old enough, like 18-year-olds, to buy a beer. But lowering the drinking age from 21 won't give more votes to Democrats. Here's what I would say about this. And I had this debate with a friend. In general, he doesn't think more people voting is a good idea. There's the general belief that the people don't, who don't vote, you're just as happy that they don't vote. You don't know that that's true. Now, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm conflating two things here. Let's set the 16-year-olds aside for a second. In any given election, the turnout can be 40-ish to 60%-ish, to, you know, general election, depending what it's for. Sometimes you get near 70%. But still, a lot of people don't vote. And in some elections, spring elections, it's very low. You have 20% turnout deciding some pretty important races. But the belief is that all of the people not voting, well, they're not engaged anyway. Some are, some aren't. Some people who vote have no idea what they're voting for. This is true. I mean, that's, I'm not being mean. A lot of people who do go and cast their vote are very uninformed. So if we're going to say we're just going to make a blanket, blanket indictment that 16-year-olds aren't informed enough to vote, if you want to start making that the qualification for voting, things could get really interesting in this country. How do you determine that with a test? You're going to find out that some 16-year-olds are actually far more qualified if you're going to use your test as a qualifier than someone my age. I used to marvel at some of the things that I would hear people believe when they would call my talk show. It's like, really? And by the way, it, it didn't discriminate. It was left and right. I was just stunned, and they weren't young. That said, I do not agree with this. I do not agree with lowering the voting age to 16. But I have a reason very different from that I... It's not because I think they're going to favor one political party, and it's not because I think they're not qualified to vote. I think there's an obvious reason why 16-year-olds shouldn't vote, and I'll share it in two minutes. If you have any thoughts, 414-799-1620 is the Iconet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 414-799-1620, 214 News Radio WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Two sixteen, Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. Till two fifty-five, make way for coverage of the Brewers and Dodgers, and also uh, back tomorrow as well. All right, seeing no calls on this, I'm going to quickly make my point of why I think sixteen-year-old voting age is a bad idea, and then move on to something else. I do oppose any effort to move it, but here's why. It's not because I think 16-year-olds are not informed enough or responsible enough to vote. There are people much older than they that fall into that category. It's also not because I think it'll favor one political party over the other. I think it's very basic. And Madeline Fry, writing of the Washington Examiner, I think made the point. With adulthood comes rights and responsibility. 16-year-olds are not adults. They do not have the rights of an adult, but they also don't have the commensurate responsibility. You don't have all the responsibility of adulthood at 16. I don't think you should have the right 
I think that should be reserved for the age when you have most of the rights. Again, drinking age is 21, and I, and I continue to disagree with the concept of two ages of reason and consent. I, I just do. I think that's a mistake. I don't know. I don't know which one you, you hang with, 21 or 18. I don't know. I mean, look, it was 21, the voting age. It was lowered to 18, in my opinion, really as a direct result of the Vietnam War. And young people, young men, well, if I can be drafted to go serve my country, I should be able to vote on that policy. And you had you had the two the dueling ages. You're just going to exacerbate that problem. It's just it's the the age of responsibility is the age of responsibility. But again, the one exception, a couple exceptions. But generally, 18 is when you're an adult. And I think we have to stick with that. The political ramifications to me are secondary. Whether or not the responsible is secondary, I, I just, I, I think that's the bigger issue. All right, uh, back on Tuesday, I believe it was, Jeff Wagner took up the topic of ShopGo, a Wisconsin institution, been around since 1962, is going away. Jeff took several calls on the topic. I was driving around, and, and I heard him cover this. And he made a point, one which I think is relevant. Shopgo is almost ubiquitous, in other words, everywhere in my part of the state, northeast Wisconsin. Of course, they started in Green Bay. They moved out to the upper Midwest. I think they're in the Plain States as well. Late last year, they said they were closing some stores, but it was actually, in reality, the beginning of a death spiral debt-consuming them, and they will be closing all of their stores. At one point, they employed more than 15,000 workers nationwide. I was on another radio show the same day that, that Jeff covered this, another radio show in another city, and I bought into the argument that it was largely due to look online shopping. Brick and mortar is going the way of horse and buggy. Now, Jeff and several listeners made the case that ShopGo is at least largely responsible or certainly partially responsible for their own demise because what they once were, they no longer, they, they became something else. And they had a hard time finding a niche. They were considered Target Junior for a while. But then they kind of lost their upscale feel and callers called in with stories of poor service at Shopco stores and so on. I'm not saying, let me say this. Here's, so I'm driving around in the Green Bay area hearing this. The Ashwabanon Shopco store that my wife and I frequent, that's not our experience. Now some of the stores and some of the smaller markets, based on what callers were telling Jeff, that does appear to be the case. Here's what I would say, though. Something is inevitable. And what's inevitable is um, brick-and-mortar stores, big box, if you will, stores, are going the way of the horse and buggy. I, I think it's going to be the rare animal that survives. 
it is possible that Jeff and the callers were right, and Shopko accelerated the inevitable with bad choices, or just let things kind of die on the vine. But look, this isn't happening in a vacuum. Uh, there's brick and mortar of every variety. Shopko, Payless, Jimboree, and others closing in 2018 and 2019. Other stores on the brink. Yeah, some are managing to survive. And I guess at some point the landscape, the retail landscape, will continue to have brick and mortar stores. But quite candidly, it's just a reality. And the stores that probably survived the longest, the brick and mortar, are those, and I think you're seeing this now, who best marry themselves to the online shopping community, where you offer both. Let me give you a couple of examples. I had a radio consultant years ago. I was sitting in on a seminar, and a radio consultant said, why did the passenger railway industry, the the giant that it was in the late 19th century and early 20th century, why did it die? Here's what he said. Because the railroad barons considered themselves to be in the railroad industry and not the transportation industry. If they were in the transportation industry, they would have seen the necessity of buying into the new technologies rather than being destroyed by them. Semi-trucks and airplanes. Semi-trucks in terms of freight train, but airplanes, buses, and so on. My dad was of an age that he, when he was in the service, he traveled predominantly by rail. He remembered it fondly, almost falling on his keister every time he tried to walk. That, for someone my age or younger, it, it can't. You know, my wife did take, and her family, when she was a kid, took the Amtrak from Washington State to visit relatives in Wisconsin. But for the most part, passenger rail, it. We can't imagine when it ruled the United States. Okay? Horse and buggy. There were a handful of those companies that got into the automobile business. Studebaker, I believe, was one of them. And even they didn't survive. You have to accept what's coming and be part of it. Right now... I'm talking into a microphone that's broadcasting on a terrestrial radio signal via a radio tower. But you can also pick it up other ways, through the app, website, what have you. Yeah, we're still a radio station, but we're in the communication industry, and we understand that. Newspapers are trying to wrestle with that. Television wrestling with that. We're all wrestling with it. But particularly when it comes to purchasing things, boy, that online, and I was one of the last holdouts. I hated the idea of buying stuff online. Hated it. Ultimately, well, you know what? This is okay. Now, I still like being in stores. I still like the experience. Years ago, there was a story in the Wall Street Journal it was, it was really a heartbreaking story. This bridal shop in New England, I don't remember where. 
They had a unique business model. Uh, just think about this. Try to even imagine a day that this was successful. They would have one customer a day. The bride-to-be was queen for a day. Everybody waited on her hand and foot, literally. The store was hers for the day. They hung in there into the early 21st century, which is amazing. But hyper-quality service has gone the way of convenience. And because I think that's generally true, hyper-service, you have a whole generation that's not used to it. I just think brick and mortar ultimately is going to be very, very, very rare. 226 News Radio WTMJ. Associates, and let's have a conversation about securing your version of the American dream. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. So coming up in the next half hour, a while back, and you know, when I I quote these things, I wish that I could quote the person who said it, but I read a lot of stuff. I don't want to guess and get it wrong. But the quote went like this. I'm just letting you know it's not original. It didn't come from my gray matter between my two ears. Anything worth reacting to these days seems to be worth over reacting to i really like that it covers a lot of things about modern society doesn't it anything worth reacting to is worth over reacting to and overreaction does seem to be the default position these days which brings us to my alma mater my undergrad alma mater uw oshkosh my grad school marquette university There was a case this week. I'm not saying what happened didn't deserve a reaction, but is what it got an overreaction. We'll see what you think after the news. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Two thirty-six. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. Brewers baseball coming your way at uh, coverage begins at 255. The Dodgers. All right, which means I need to jump into this right away. Let me just read a bit from, uh, I think it was the Appleton Post Crescent. On the morning earlier this month, that polls opened for the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh race for student body president. Three candidates received a photo that made them afraid of the campus they were vying to lead. The Snapchat image showed a photo of their opponents for Oshkosh Student Association President and Vice President, both white men, urging students to get out and vote for them. Now, be very clear on what happened here. So underneath that Snapchat image, a student had tacked on an endorsement. UWO, vote for these guys today unless you want a lesbian or a mung to win. It wasn't the candidates who did that. Some kid at UW Oshkosh, did that. The image quickly spread on Facebook, prompting condemnations from university officials, student organizations, and the candidates on each ticket, including the white guys in the photo, junior Jacob Banfield and sophomore Ian McDonald. Now, these are the white guys who, it was under their picture, 
vote for these guys unless you want a lesbian or a monk to win. Here's what they said about it. Our hearts dropped, not just for ourselves, because what is said on the post is not who we are, but for the other students that this is targeting. Because we want to bring such a positive image here, McDonald said. In the wake of the post, UW Oshkosh students Alina Zhang, Pao Hoa Zhang, and Alicia Obermeyer, the targets, organized a call to action event that was held this past Monday to pose some difficult questions to their community. Who else has been discriminated, harassed, or treated as an outsider at UWO? What else have their peers endured? How can we change? In a divided America with vitriolic politics and otherwise run-of-the-mill student body election, now is forcing the student body to look within. Many students want change. And then what happened at this action day, a lot of students told stories of being discriminated against. By the way, I am not denying for a moment that LGBTQ students and students of color face discrimination on campus. I'm not speaking uh, specifically to UW Oshkosh, but I am, look, I understand. These things do happen on college campuses. I often wonder, though, and I do wonder in this case, this is, is this an overreaction that does more harm than good? So now this, I, here's what I will say. This student does face consequences. And I think it's the college Republicans at Oshkosh booted the guy out, said, look, we have nothing to do with this guy. And I think at least some of the candidates, the white guy candidates, I guess, as the Journal Sentinel would put it, uh, are, are uh, part of the college Republicans at Oshkosh. They had, here's, they had nothing to do with it. The young men who, hey, vote for these guys unless you want dot, dot, dot. They had nothing to do with it. They immediately disavowed it and and said, you know, we're we're really disheartened by this. The school reacted. So then there's an action day because we have to stomp this out. I just want to be clear. uh, The criticism leveled against this guy and the action taken is perfectly warranted. But when, at some point, do you draw more attention to something and this guy, even though he is facing consequences, apparently, a whole lot more people heard his question because this was shared. And, and the reality is, this is just a reality, and, and here on Earth, we aren't going to stomp out racism, sexism, and every other ism that you can think of. Now, we can speak against it, we can take action, but there are going to be people who continue to think this way. And I believe the answer is that you do repudiate them. You do say, hey, this is not us, and we are not going to associate with this guy. I, I can see it rising to the level of this story. If the candidates had done it, if they stood by it, But I, you know, having an action day because one person did an offensive thing and then to suggest that rampant racism 
and homophobia at the UW Oshkosh campus. Again, I'm not saying there aren't racists and people who don't like the LGBTQ community at Oshkosh. I'm sure there are. Those people exist everywhere. And I believe identifying them in this way and calling them out in this way is the right thing to do. But I I don't know. It's been, gosh, (laughs) it's going on 40 years since I was at, wow, it's going on 40 years, 1980, since I was a student at UW Oshkosh. Yeah, there were racists then. I rode in an elevator with one. But I just don't know. I don't know to take this single episode and say that it's uh, emblematic of a campus-wide problem you know, to where racism and, and homophobia are running rampant. I don't know. I, I have a heart. I don't know. 242 News Radio WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Forty-five News Radio WTMJ Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner for about oh I don't know um, uh, another nine minutes so I have to be quick about this couple of things first the Commandant of the Marine Corps is warning that deployments to the U.S. Mexico border and funding transfers under the President's Emergency Declaration are contributing to an unacceptable risk to the Corps' combat readiness. In two copies of two in, in copies of two internal Pentagon memos obtained by the Los Angeles Times, General Robert Neller said the unplanned, unbudgeted deployment of forces along the border, along with shifts of funds to support border security, has forced him to cancel or reduce planned military training and delay urgent repairs at bases. There's a breaking alert earlier this afternoon from the L.A. Times. And apparently that, again, is according to Pentagon memos obtained by the L.A. Times. We'll see where that goes. As long as we have drifted into national news. So I've given a lot of thought about this topic and how I want to broach it. It is the topic of the attacks leveled by President Trump of late at the late U.S. Senator John McCain. And I actually have prayerfully considered how I want to address this. And they continued yesterday in a five-minute attack as part of a speech in Ohio. Senator McCain has been deceased for seven months. Something that the president on Fox News set him off to criticize John McCain again, in very brutal terms. That, of course, led to a response uh, from McCain's daughter. And back and forth it went, and the president just wouldn't let it go. You had a U.S. senator this week who stepped forward and roundly criticized the president for this. Decency demands a response. It doesn't matter who the attacker is. In this case, the attacker is President Trump. 
whoever the attacker might be, decency demands a response. Because we're either a decent society or we're not. Attacking a dead man who cannot defend himself is beyond indefensible from any individual, let alone the President of the United States. Yet there just continues to be a reluctance for people to speak out against the President when he deserves it. So to Mike Gallagher, Jim Sensenbrenner, Brian Stile, Duffy, the Wisconsin Republican Congressional Delegation, decency demands a response. It doesn't matter who it's coming from, but especially from the President of the United States. Decency demands a response. 249 News Radio WTMJ. Two fifty one. Jerry Baderman for Jeff Wagner. I am privileged to be back here with you right here tomorrow, same time, same channel. I'm dating myself. I didn't say same bat time, same bat channel. I wonder what age you need to be to even get that. The old Batman TV series. Same bat time, same bat channel. I was addicted to that. I was like six years old. Boy, I am. You know what? I'm every bit as old as my kids say I are. I am. Easy there. As they say, I am. That's just just kind of the way it is. All right. So um, what are we going to get to tomorrow? We are going to have some fun. Here's what I can tell you for sure. I don't actually have much of the show put together. But here is what I can tell you for sure. In this half hour tomorrow, 232 255 in this half hour we're going to have some fun we're going to play a radio version of a famous TV game show but I don't know if I can legally use the name so we're going to call ours Tinseltown Cube or Tinseltown Cubes think Peter Marshall again if you're of an age we're going to have some fun it's mostly for fun and uh that's what's going to consume the 2.30 to 2.55 segment tomorrow. From noon to then, I, quite honestly, we'll see what the events of the day. I do, uh, I do have a leftover topic. Actually, I'm amazed at the topics that we got through. This is, I am usually guilty of horrible clock management. I got through just about everything I wanted to get through today. Usually, in show prep, when I'm doing multiple days, I don't worry about the next day. Because I leave so much on the table. I didn't today. I do want to talk about the military-style semi-automatic weapons ban that New Zealand is imposing following the mass shooting there. That will be among the agenda items when we meet again tomorrow. 253 Brewers Baseball is next. See you tomorrow.